Good morning, guys. Wow, so good seeing you. It was weird kind of not being here last week. And again, obviously, we only had one week off. Uh, we met at home. We had a live or a pre-recorded uh, sermon and worship, and it was awesome, and we enjoyed. It was actually weird sitting at home, like, watching myself on, you know, on, on the TV. But it was, it, was, it was good to be able to be with you, knowing as well we'd be back today. So um, it's good to be back. Uh, brand new year, as Luke had mentioned, brand new series that we're going to be jumping into. Uh, we are going to be looking in just a moment in the book of uh, First Peter. So if you guys would like, why don't you open your Bible to the book of First Peter, uh, give you a moment or two to find it. If you don't know where it's at, again, we say this all the time, there's never, ever any shame in looking at the table of contents. It's totally fine. I could give a hint. It's right before Second Peter. Stupid joke. Anyways, uh, again, glad you guys are here. Um, one of the things I want to say before we jump in is um, who we are as a church, as a community. Um, one of the things I want to try to do over the next few months, maybe even weekly as we gather, is just to remind ourselves again by way of our identity. As a church community, we describe ourselves as a community of people that are being reshaped by Jesus to love God, love others, and to make his name known. Uh, to do that, we see that there's at least like three main values or aims that we build everything that we do as a church around. Number one, it's Presence, three words, presence, transformation, and mission. The presence of God, uh, the transformation that happens as we meet God, as we are made, remade into the image of Jesus. But then mission, meaning that we have an aim. There's a purpose that we have as a church community. And it's not just simply this. It may involve this, but it's far bigger than just simply gathering on a Sunday morning. Um, so I thought each week we just kind of like look real briefly at the idea of each one of these. So presence in in short, it's all about what we do here on a Sunday as a small group throughout the week, online gatherings, prayer meetings. It's about God's presence. Like for us, that's what our church is about. It's about savoring, seeking, loving God himself. Uh, we can be, and historically we've seen churches throughout history become more about kind of a building, more about a mission, more about just a community. Um, and then somewhere along the line, they lose that love that they had for Jesus. In fact, it's one of the very things that even Jesus himself said as he wrote to a community of churches, one in a city called Ephesus, he says, I have this one issue against you. You've left your first love. And the importance of Jesus, um, this light's, oh, there we go. It's not flashing. It was flashing for brief, and I wasn't sure if that was a signal for me to, like, stop talking or keep talking. Anyways, I, I think I'm just going to take that as preach for really long. Is that cool? Preach for really long. Okay, I'm going to preach for long today. Um, but the idea is that we, we never want to become that community of people whereby we lose sight or we drift away from the, the very core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's Jesus. We love Jesus. So we built all that we are around that aim of the presence of, of God. That's why we gather on a Sunday morning. That's why we do small groups throughout the week. That's why we encourage you to cultivate in your own life prayer and mindfulness of who God is and worship and begin to read the scriptures because Jesus is our greatest treasure. So with that being said, I want to jump now into the teaching this morning. Uh, so again, hopefully you guys have your Bibles open to the book of First Peter. Um, now over the next few weeks, we're going to begin to kind of jump 
really headlong into this book. Today, we're just going to look at a handful of verses or a handful of words in a particular verse. Um, I'll give you a quick little outline of this. So again, like I mentioned today, just a couple of words. Next week, I'll kind of give like a 30,000 foot overview of the entire book. That I think that'll be helpful. Um, the following week, we'll take a look at just the first few verses of chapter one. So that kind of uh, charts a little bit of a map for us over the next couple of weeks, if not a month or so. Um, that being said as well, my hope was to actually have a resource guide available for you. Um, I had been actually working on it for the past like couple months. Um, it, it's one of those things, I don't know what it is, but I'm probably giving you TMI, but every single time I went, sat down to just read and think and pray and process and do, I just had like mental blocks every single time. And it literally got to the point of even yesterday where I'm just like, okay, I got to like sit down, force myself, make it happen. And it's kind of like, you know, trying to force creativity. It just does not work that way. And it wasn't coming. So I thought, okay, I'm going to give it one more shot. I'm going to let you guys know what I've been dealing with for you because I love you. It's just, I'm just joking. But um, my hope would be next week to at least have the beginning makeup of a resource guide for you. The big idea behind that is I want to be able to equip you guys with content so that as you read and study the scripture, particularly the book of 1 Peter, that you would have as many good resources available for you or at least to spawn you off in the right direction to kind of access resources yourself. So again, be on the lookout for that next week. So with that being said, hopefully you guys have your Bibles open to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm just gonna read and then I'll stop right when I'm done. It starts like this. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. Stop. That's what we're going to look at here today. Just a few words. In fact, in the Greek, it's really only three words. Uh, four words, actually. Petros, apostolos, Isis, Christos, meaning Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, like we had just read. So I want to pray. We'll jump in, and hopefully God will begin to speak to us. So Jesus, right now, we commit our hearts, our lives, our thoughts our futures, even our pasts, things that we had experienced in 2020 that were devastating or painful or full of grief. We lay those down before your feet. God, even our present right now, the moment that we find ourselves in this very instant, the fears, the anxieties that we carry, the mental disconnect that we may even be feeling this very moment, we lay it at your feet. And God, especially our futures, we just ask you that as we step into this new year, that you would empower us, enable us, strengthen us to walk in all that you have for us. God, so that we would become the people that you truly are and that you're shaping and wanting for us to become. We don't want to miss any of that, Lord. So we commit even right now into your hands and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So those four words I really want to look at. I want to kind of break it down. There's just three main elements. Number one, I want to take a look at three A's for you. So apostleship, um, authorship, and then appropriation of Peter's given identity. So number one, authorship. Authorship. Most people that have studied these things or scholars, people that have researched the scriptures, um, there is, believe it or not, again, with most things, there's all forms of debate around certain things that would seem to be obvious. And I'm not going to get into that much. In fact, if you want to talk or delve deeper into this, I'm happy to direct you some good resources. But there's all sorts of questions as to whether or not, did Peter really even write this book? So I'm just going to give you my opinion straight up front. I'll back 
backtrack. Yes, I do believe Peter wrote the book. Um, yes, I do believe Peter wrote the book through what's called an emuensis, meaning someone that came along, basically co-authored it, a guy by the name of um, Silas or Sylvanus. That kind of comes into play in the very last part of the book where it says, you know, I write this with Silas or Sylvanus. So again, that was not an odd thing that happened in ancient world. It was very common. Uh, Peter was a fisherman. We'll talk more about him and what his vocation was and where he came from in just a moment. But most scholars would argue, well, Peter was just a fisherman. He was uneducated, unlearned, unskilled, right? He didn't have his doctorate. He was not a smart guy, as some would assume. So the way that First Peter is written, the Greek is actually really exquisite and beautiful. And so some would suggest there's no way that Peter could have written this because he was uneducated, living in the backwaters, and he definitely would not have had a grasp on the Greek the way that the First Peter is kind of written out. Um, but again, like I said, some, many, most believe that it was probably uh, dictated by Peter through Sylvanus, who kind of cleaned it up, polished it up and all that. And, and one element that I would just take away from that is God has a beautiful way of just getting his word to us and preserving it. So we shouldn't be shocked by that. This is how God works. So number one, authorship, definitely, I believe, Peter. Number two, the sense of apostleship. Peter describes himself as an apostle. Um, what is an apostle? Well, the word apostle basically just means sent one. Think of it as being someone who's on a commission or who's been given a mission, someone who has been called by another higher up uh, person that's at the top of the food chain, go do this, go live this way, go act this way, go bring this message. And that's exactly what Peter describes himself as. He says, I'm an apostle, meaning he is one of the original uh, people. In fact, uh, I would describe it this way. There's uppercase a apostles and lowercase a apostles. Peter is an uppercase a apostle. He's part of the original 12 that were commissioned by Jesus to then go forth and not only communicate what Jesus said, but also communicate and convey what Jesus did. So what's interesting about the intro line here is that Peter's not trying to emphasize this. He's not trying to make this point. In other words, he's not showing up on the scene and, and like, you know, flexing his muscle, like his apostolic muscle. I'm, you know, top dog in the church. Um, some would argue that maybe Peter was like the first father of the church or the first pope. Again, if he was, he's definitely not flexing that. If he, if he was, which I would argue he probably wasn't, but again, that's a whole other topic. But the point of the matter is that he's, he's not making emphasis of this. He's just Paul, or just Peter, the apostle, writing these things to a community of people. Um, so number one, we saw the authorship. Number two, the apostleship of Peter. And then thirdly, I want to talk a little bit about the appropriation of his given identity. The very intro word of this entire book is really fascinating to me. The fact that Peter actually calls himself Peter. Why? Why is that fascinating? I'll tell you why. Well, because if you follow the story of this guy, this character that we know as Peter right now, when he's first introduced to us in the entire Bible, right, in the entire New Testament, he's described as not as Peter, but he has another name. His name's Simon. You guys remember that? Simon. That's his name. Shimon. Simon. And it's not until he meets Jesus that Jesus actually says to him, Simon, your name's going to be called Peter. Uh, in the Aramaic, it's the word kephos, kephos. In the Greek, it's petros. Uh, but his original name uh, is Simon. Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm going to change your name. Now think about that. Um, you, you don't, it, I mean, we would maybe say it's giving someone else a nickname. 
Um, I don't know what you think about nicknames. I don't know if you have a nickname. I, I don't think I have a nickname, but I know within our family, we, we call uh, everyone kind of different nicknames. Um, you know, call my wife, honey, call my daughter. I'm not going to tell you what I call my daughters. But the point of the matter is they call me Popper, Popper, Popper. I think I, I love that name, Popper. So we have these like nicknames and we also have these like weird ways by which we communicate, which I'm not going to tell you about because it's kind of embarrassing. But the point of the matter is, is, is uh, when you have nicknames for each other, pet names, uh, it signifies a deep sense of relationship. But that's not just so much what Jesus is doing here. He's not just like throwing out a pet name for Peter. He's, he's giving him maybe like a prophetic name. Here's who you are, but here's who what you will become. So the word Petros is the Greek word for rock. Kephos uh, is also the Aramaic word for rock. And the big idea that most scholars would agree that what Jesus is doing is describing that who Peter would become. He would become this guy that was of great strength and ability and authority. But right now, he's not quite that. And I, and I love this because Jesus gives him this name. And at the beginning of Peter's introduction in the New Testament, he's just Simon. As he's writing multiple years later, decades later, to this community of people, he uses the name that Jesus gives to him. So he appropriates this name. So what I thought it would be kind of fun to do today, right now, just in our given time, is to look a little bit at the life of, of Peter kind of like a biopic, right? Look at the life of Peter. And I, I think Peter's life is fascinating. Um, if you've never thought about Peter, my, my hope would be right now that you would think about the life of Peter and that you would be encouraged by the life of Peter because Peter's life is not unlike many of our own where he's a guy that has a lot of big intentions, but his actions don't always match his intentions. You know what I'm talking about? It's one of the things that we do at the beginning of the year where we make resolutions. We make resolutions because we know there's something deeply flawed about us. At least towards the end of December, we're like, man, my life is not good. I'm not eating well. I'm not working out. I'm not getting exercise. I'm not reading enough. I'm watching too much television. Whatever, you fill in the blank. And then somewhere around December, the beginning of January, we're like, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do this, this, and this. So we make these resolutions because we realize something's not quite right. There's a disconnect between our intentions, the person that we really want to be, and who we truly are right now at this moment. But Peter's deeply human. He's just like us. So uh, let's jump in and begin to take a look at a little bit about the life of Peter, then we'll wrap this up with some final thoughts. Number one, we'll just jump in. Uh, Peter lived in a particular village called Bethsaida. In fact, you can look this up. There's a couple passages I'll throw out to you. John chapter 1, verse 44, we're told that he lived in this little city called Bethsaida. Now, shockingly, just back in February. My apologies. I couldn't hear what you said. <laughs> sorry. I have to turn off my Siri because every single time I say certain words, it responds. So sorry. I did that a couple weeks ago. Apologize. Um, the point is, is that couple, uh, back in February, we were actually in this city called Bethsaida. It's along the little uh, Sea of Galilee. And so think lake, big, big lake, um, not so much like an ocean or a sea. And this would have been a small little podunk town that Peter lived in. He lived there with his father, his wife, um, his, his brother. Uh, he had some good friends, uh, which kind of leads us a little bit into his vocation. Uh, his vocation was actually, he was a, uh, a, a commercial fisherman along with his brother. Um, his father, we actually know his father's name because... We, 
uh, he's introduced to us as Simon, son, or Simon Bar Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah, or another name for Jonah is John. His dad's name was John, and he was a commercial fisherman. He was, no doubt, part of the family business, and uh, this is where Jesus finds him. He's not being found in the high, you know, Fluting cities of like, uh, whether like Alexandria, Egypt, or other places in the ancient Roman world. He, he was just a normal, common dude that Jesus calls one day and says, come follow me. Uh, listen to the story. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. It says this, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who we're going to look at, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed Jesus. Uh, in terms of personality, like if you were to psychoanalyze Peter, he's fascinating because um, there's probably more told to us about the character Peter than any other New Testament character. Um, even the Apostle Paul, there's a lot that's talked about Paul, but Peter, we learn a little, a lot, lot more, I should say, about his personality. These are some words that I would use to describe Peter. Very bold, right? Abrasive, um, spontaneous. It's the type of guy, um, we're told that later that when Jesus was on the lake, Jesus, uh, he's walking on the water, right? And he calls the people. He's like, you know, who's going to come out to me? And Peter's like, I'll come out to you, Jesus. Who does that? Like, who's, who, who do you know personality-wise that's the one that shows up, you know, at the karaoke bar? They're like, I'm out there. And they even haven't even had a drink. They're like out there singing. There's nothing artificially creating a sense of like courage in them. They're just out there taking the mic, singing. That's like Peter, right? He's very spontaneous. He's very courageous. He's the type of guy that will just show up and do that which nobody else is willing to do. Uh, Another word I would use to describe him is combative. Um, we're told that later in his life, he's uh, defending Jesus and he whips out a sword and he's about to cut off another dude's head, right? He ends up only cutting his ear off. It's dark, give him some grace. But the point of the matter is, is that Peter was not aiming for his ear. He was aiming to kill this guy. Uh, he is very combative. Uh, another word I would use is outspoken. He just speaks What's on his mind? He's one of those guys that speaks first, asks questions later. All right, do you know anybody like that? A verbal processor, right? You might call it that in a more subtle way. Like, I'm just a verbal processor. Like, that's kind of like me. I can totally relate to this. That's, you know, if you know me and you have a conversation with me, you know, I like to verbally process stuff. And usually it takes me two, three, four, five times to actually get right what I'm actually trying to say. So the first like four times, I'm like making enemies, making people mad, frustrated. Like, why did you say that? I'm like, oh, that's not what I meant. What I really meant was this. And I say it four more times and it comes out right. That's really what I meant. This is Peter, very outspoken. Two other words I would use to describe Peter that I think are a little bit more in a positive is he's extremely brave. And this ties into the other word is loyal. He's exceptionally loyal to Jesus, to Jesus and to those that are part of his friends. I think uh, if he was an Enneagram number, it'd probably be like an Enneagram seven, right? The loyalist. He's the guy that is willing to do anything for anybody as long as you're within his favor. This is Peter. And what's fascinating to me about him is that throughout his life, 
as he's a companion with Jesus along the way, he is kind of brought into the inner circle of Jesus' community. So again, Jesus had 12 apostles. There are many hundreds of what we would call disciples, people that were interested in Jesus, curious in what he was doing, fascinated by the miracles that he was performing and doing. But in Jesus' little community of people, he had what we would describe as kind of like this inner circle. And that would be Peter, James, and John. Peter oftentimes is always labeled as number one. Peter, James, and then John. Peter's always kind of part of this inner circle. That means that Peter was there when Jesus was transfigured. Uh, this, again, miraculous event that happens with Jesus. Something radically changes with Jesus. Jesus uh, is bringing Peter, James, and John into the moments where he's about to heal someone. And there's one occasion where Jesus tells everybody, get everybody else out of the room except Peter, James, and John. So Peter's kind of front and center watching all of this, a part of all of this, seeing all of this, hearing all of this. Uh, we're told that even on one occasion that Peter was casting his nets out, not catching anything. It was kind of at the beginning of his calling. Jesus tells him, hey, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? And Peter's, you know, again, he's like a, he's a brawny, uh, polished, uh, you know, dedicated, devoted fisherman. And here's Jesus saying, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? A guy who's not a fisherman. And Peter's no doubt, I mean, he could have been offended by that. He could have been like, who are you telling me what to do? Imagine showing up on a job, going to the foreman, and you have never even done any electrical work yourself or any construction work yourself. You're like, I think you should hammer the nail this way. Like, that guy has every right and reason to be frustrated with you. Peter literally does what Jesus says, throws his net on the other side and he catches so much fish. So the point that I want to make is that Peter is literally in the inner circle of everything that Jesus is doing. Peter's also described in the Bible as being the very first person to fully verbally confess the, the real true identity of who Jesus is. There was all this talk, who is Jesus really? Is he just a miracle maker? Is he a good teacher? Is he a rabbi? Who is he? Is he a prophet? Uh, Jesus brings his disciples to this region called Caesarea Philippi. Again, back in February, I, I stood right there where all of this happened. It's crazy to think it was not even a year ago, but it feels many, many years ago. But here's Jesus with his disciples, and he asked them privately, hey, who do you guys say that I am? What are the rumors what are the Twitter feeds saying about me? And then Peter says, you know, some people say that this is you. And, but but we, Jesus says, who do you, who do you guys say that I am? Peter then says to Jesus, listen to what he says. Who do people say that I, the son of man, am? And then they said, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter then replied. Again, he's the bold guy that's going to stand up and say what's on his mind. He says, you are the Christ. You're the king. You're the son of the living God. And the Jesus answered him and said, he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood is not revealed as to you, but my father who's in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Wherever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Verse 21, he goes on to say, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed, but then on the third day, be raised. And I love this, this little conclusion of this really fascinating, and I would even say like highlighted story. Peter hears Jesus 
just unpack kind of the future. He's like, hey, here's what's going to happen, guys. Good job, Peter. Uh, the fact that you revealed or the fact that you conveyed what you said uh, demonstrates that this is revealed to you by God. You didn't come up with this on your own. God's doing something right in your midst, and you might not even be fully aware of it. I mean, just pause and think about that. How many times is God doing something in our very midst? We're not even aware of it. That's exactly what's happening with Peter. Uh, then Peter, go, uh, Peter begins to hear Jesus say, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be put to death. But then on the third day, I'm going to rise again. He basically gives his entire game plan for victory. And Peter's like, no, 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 Lord. Absolutely not. In fact, the Greek uses a very strong language. It says he actually rebuked him. Imagine Peter pulling Jesus aside and be like, absolutely not. You will not. You will not do that. I will protect you. You will not. Now, again, I think his intentions were good. Jesus is like, I'm going to die. I'm going to be tortured. And Peter's like, absolutely not. Not while I'm on the watch. I'm here. I'm loyal to you. I will protect you. And Jesus then says, you have no clue what you're talking about, Peter. You do not understand that what God is up to right now involves this. So again, we, we begin to see a little bit about this sense of bravery and loyalty that Peter had. In fact, you, you might even describe it this way. It's, it's his greatest, one of his greatest assets. But I would also say it's one of his greatest liabilities. Because as long as Peter is able to like move and work within that zone of loyalty and remain focused and be a protector, at the same time, if he fails, it's as if Peter's entire world just comes crushing down. Listen to how this plays out even a little bit further. Um, because we know that one of the greatest failures of Peter, what we would simply describe as uh, Peter's denial, that Jesus goes to Jerusalem, exactly what Jesus said would happen begins to take place. In fact, there's this point where Jesus even is describing to his disciples, says, all of you guys, I just need you to understand, all of you guys will betray me at some point. And Peter stands up, he's like, absolutely not, Lord. Even though every one of these other people, all of them, even though they will fail you, they'll betray you, they'll be disloyal to you, I will not be disloyal to you. And Jesus said, Peter, you're going to betray me three times. And you can imagine, imagine, again, if this is like your strength, loyalty, faithfulness, fidelity, and you're being told by Jesus, someone that you deeply value and respect and love, saying, no, you're going to actually fail. You're going to be the worst of all the failures. Like, imagine that. that that's got to hurt really deep inside of Peter. But again, he's bold. He's boisterous. He's loud, obnoxious. He's the guy at the party. It's always going to like say something that's going to be offensive to somebody somewhere, no doubt. But here, Peter is very self-assured. I will not betray you. Listen to the story. Matthew chapter 26, verse 69 through 75. I'll read it. Just You can follow along. You can uh, write this down and read it a little bit later. But just listen to the story. It says, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. This is believed to be what's called Caiaphas's uh, manor or uh, palace. Um, again, it was just there. In fact, mo most believe that this was actually Caiaphas's 
a palace. And so uh, it would have been an inner protected, kind of like a garden, walled garden area. Um, a lot of people would have been able to kind of come in there. But here's Jesus. He's arrested. He's being tried. Uh, they're mocking him. Um, and here's Peter off in the distance, uh, no doubt within eyesight. He's watching all the events that are happening. But he also realizes he's basically in the enemy's camp. One wrong move, exactly what's happening to Peter or exactly what's happening to Jesus will ultimately end up happening to Peter. Peter's nervous about this, as, as you and I would be as well. Um, so Peter's nervous. He's warming himself by the fire. It's a cold night. It's dark. He's, you know, here he is. He's warming himself. And then all of a sudden, as he's watching, as he's trying to listen to all the interrogation that's happening against Jesus, it says, then a servant girl came up to him and said, you were also with Jesus, the Galilean. But listen to verse 70. But then Peter denied this before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. Verse 71. And then he went out of the entrance. And then another servant girl came to him and said, she saw you that you were with this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 72 says, then again, he denied it with an oath. And he says, I swear to you, I do not know the man. Verse 73. After a little while, the bystanders came up and they said to Peter, certainly you too were also one of them or with them for your very accent betrays you. He had a northern accent, right? Living around the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of like a southern accent, right? You can identify or tell it. You can listen to how someone talks and think, oh, you don't live in this particular area. You live from someplace else. That's what they can tell with Peter. And it goes on in verse 74. It says, then he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you would have denied me three times. And then he went out and he wept bitterly. This is one of those scenes in the story of the Bible that is really powerful. Because what it shows is sort of this radical contrast between Peter's self-assured strength and boldness and loyalty and devotion uh, with his deeply human, flawed, weak side. Again, his intentions didn't match his actions. And it was powerful because, again, Peter was a guy that boasted of his loyalty. But here he was being disloyal and unfaithful. Man, that must have hurt and cut Peter so deeply in that very instant feeling that deep sense of like, I failed. Have you ever felt that? Where you want to do something, you have intentions in your heart to live a certain way, to act a certain way, to be a certain type of person. But you also know that as a human being, you are deeply flawed and your actions very rarely synchronize with your intentions. And you're faced with that, that those actions can oftentimes bring a lot of pain and grief, not only in yourself, but in the lives of other people. Peter felt, I failed the one that I love. I failed him. And in Peter's mind, he's no doubt thinking, he disapproves of me. I let the one down who I promised to be there forever. That's why he, he went out and he wept bitterly. And this leads us, obviously, to the rest of the story. Jesus, no doubt, we know, dies. He rises again from the dead. And from that, on the third day, as he rose again from the dead, we know that Peter, uh, we're told, 
races John to the garden tomb, and he's outrun by Jesus, or by, by uh, John, as he shows up at the garden tomb. Um, he then, we're told, has no really encounter with Jesus in that moment, has an encounter with an angel, is told that Jesus is risen again from the dead. But somewhere at that point, again, the timeline gets a little bit uh, questionable in some theologians' minds, but the point of the matter, I think what would end up happening at this point, some point around here, Peter ends up going back to the north part of the country, to the Sea of Galilee. Again, Jerusalem and Galilee were pretty far from each other, about uh, an hour's drive, um, 60 miles, 70 miles or so, something like that. So to walk back to your former hometown is exactly what Peter does. But at this particular point, we see that Peter knows that Jesus is risen again from the dead, but he has not really had a direct encounter to really kind of deal with things. What, what, what's, what's the narrative that's going on in Peter's mind right at this particular moment right now? There's no doubt Peter is constantly recycling, replaying his failure over and over and over again. And so what's Peter do as he goes back to the Sea of Galilee? Listen to what John chapter 21 verse says. And after this, Jesus revealed himself to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And then he revealed himself this way. And John begins to tell us, then Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. And they said to them, we will go with you. And they went out in the boat and that night they caught nothing. Um, again, you get a little bit of an insight. Peter obviously is a leader. A leader is somebody that says, I'm going to go do this. And you got a following. If you are Claiming to be a leader, and there's nobody following you, is probably not a leader. But the point of the matter is, here's Peter going out to the boat, fishing. People are following him. Uh, that night, they caught nothing. Um, what's Peter doing there in the Sea of Tiberias, fishing? Uh, it's, it's like he's reconnecting with his past life. He's just at this low, emotional low. And maybe he's reminding himself of the encounters that he had with Jesus on that very lake. Maybe he's reminding himself of the time that when he walked on water, but then began to sink and then Jesus rescued him. Who knows what's going on in his mind? But right now, here's Peter in this state of deep depression, deep failure. And here's what the story goes on to say. Verse four, it says, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood by the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. And then he said to them, cast your net on the other side of the boat and you will have some. So they cast it and now they were not even able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, now it's kind of funny because Peter's actually, or John is actually writing this and he's referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. So Jesus uh, is having this dialogue right now with John. And then John says to Peter, it's the Lord, it's Jesus. They didn't know. And then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, Jesus, that he take, takes off his outer garment, strips off, and then jumps into the water and begins to run to or swim back to the shore. So this is a scenario that's basically taking place. In this moment, Jesus says, cast your net on the other side. Again, this harkens back to another miracle when Jesus first encountered Peter. So it's kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, hey, do you remember? Remember me, guys? And again, remember, Peter has this backstory in his head. Last time he saw Jesus, he failed him. So on the one hand, he's deeply eager to see Jesus and engage with him again. On the other hand, he's deeply ashamed. What's he going to say to me? Is that relationship going to be awkward? Is it going to be crickets? Is it going to feel weird? What's going to happen? 
But the eagerness of Peter overtakes him. In that moment, he takes off his outer garment, jumps in the water. And we're told basically in the story that the rest of the other disciples, they get to the shore before Peter. Why? Why is, why, how is it that Peter jumps out of the boat, but he doesn't get to the shore to Jesus first? I, I think probably what's happening, again, just this is me playing this out. The, the, Peter, once he gets into the shallows, he realizes, oh, I'm going to see Jesus. It'll be awkward. He begins to slow his pace. And all of a sudden, the boat gets there before him. But listen as the story plays out. And then the disciples came into the boat, verse 8, with the net uh, full of fish. And they were not afar from land, about 100 yards off. And when they had got to the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. And the fish laid out in the bread. And then Jesus said, bring some fish to me that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore. Then Jesus said, come have breakfast. Why, why, I, again, I'm playing this out in my mind. Why did Peter go get the fish? I mean, there's other fishermen. Why did Peter do this? Have you noticed it's really convenient just to go busy yourself with other stuff when there's a rift between you and someone you love? Have you noticed that? It's like easier to go do the dishes or it's easier to go do some laundry or it's easier to go cut the lawn. It's easier to go surfing than to actually have to face that person that there's just an odd relationship with. <laughs> Peter's like, I'll, I'll busy myself. I'll go get the fish. It's just postponing that awkward re-engagement with the one that he offended. But I love this because in verse 12, it says, Jesus said to them, why don't you come and have breakfast with me? It's the invitation of Jesus. I want you to think about that. Jesus' invitation. Just come hang out with me. Come be with me. Come spend some time with me. A meal back in the first century was a very, very intimate occasion. It wasn't just like sit down, chomp your bacon, and be on with your day. They didn't eat bacon back then, by the way. But the point of the matter is, is that it was a deeply intimate occasion where you engage relationally with other people. And Jesus is the one initiating this, saying, why don't you come? Let's sit down. Let's have a meal. It plays in the very thing that we talked about at the very beginning. Presence. God's presence. It's really easy to be religious. It's really easy to be about all forms of actual engagement, busy work. You know, one thing that struck me many, many years ago was it's easy to hide from God even in church. Have you noticed that? Some of the people that are hiding the most from God sometimes might be the ones that are the busiest doing stuff for God but they're really just hiding the fact that there's something not right or something's amiss in the relationship with God. And Peter's invitation from Jesus is come have breakfast with me. And then in verse 15, he says, and when he had finished breakfast, Jesus then said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And then he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he said to him, feed my lambs. Notice the name that Jesus calls Peter. It says Simon. Simon? Why doesn't he call him Peter? Uh, some reasons, but some would think that what Jesus is doing is taking Peter back to like, Peter, you're, you're acting like your previous self. Simon, do, do you love me? And in the Greek, uh, there's a play on words that's going on here. I'll, I'll do my best to be concise and uh, spell this out. Jesus says to him, do you love me? He uses the Greek word uh, agapeo. Uh, the word agape or agapeo, some of you are familiar with. Um, it, I, I like to think of the word as being a deeply committed love. Deeply committed love. 
It's the type of love that God has for us as human beings, deeply committed. And that's in contrast to phileo, which is like, uh, we get the English word Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, a brotherly type of love. And then uh, eros, which we get the word uh, erotic from, which is like a sexual type of love. There's three words, at least four words in the Greek. Um, Jesus says, Peter, are you deeply, deeply devoted to me more than these? Did you catch that? Who are the more than these that is Jesus referring to? It's the other disciples, I believe, that Peter just a week prior made this profound boast. Jesus, even though all of these others will betray you, I won't. And Jesus asks him in this moment along the shore of Galilee, around a fire with fish barbecuing. Peter, are you are you really more devoted to me than all of these others? And then Peter comes back because he's never short on words. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I'm your friend. I wasn't loyal, but you know I'm your friend. Second time, Jesus goes on, he says in verse 16, and then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agapeo me? Are you devoted to me? And then he says, yes, Lord, you know that I'm your friend. And Jesus says, go ahead and then tend my sheep. And then the third time, verse 17, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Are you my friend? Imagine this interrogation of Peter after this bold boast and the failure And the locking eyes with Jesus just before his death, basically not only betraying Jesus, but even betraying himself, right? Because people that are loyalists, people that are deeply devoted to loyalty and friendship, when they fail that other person, they're not just failing that other person, they're failing themselves. This is Peter in this moment, feeling this deep ache and grief. When Jesus says, are you my friend? And then it goes on to say, and then Peter was grieved. Another word that can be translated there is pained, hurt, sad, sorrowful. Because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And then he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But now that you are old, uh, when you are old, you will stretch out your hand Another will dress you and will carry you and you will go where you do not want to go. And then he said that this was stated as a way of basically saying how how Peter's essentially going to die. But the point that I would make is this, is that in this moment, Peter never lost his faith. He lost his courage. And that's what's deeply painful for him. And in this moment, we see Jesus raised Peter back up and say, it's okay. I love you. I'm deeply committed to you. You failed me, but I, on your behalf, have succeeded and brought you into victory. I've done something for you, Peter, that you have obviously failed in and of yourself. What I love about this is we see this progression of Peter. So again, fast forward many years, I'm almost done. Here's Peter writing. He says, Peter, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, I'm Simon, the one who failed. He's like, I'm Peter. I'm living according to that new name. I'm appropriating that name that my Savior, my King has given to me. I'm living into that name, becoming that person that Jesus had called me into. Three quick things, and I'll finish with this, is that number one, we see that God chooses imperfect and flawed people. That's, God, that's all that God has, are imperfect, flawed human beings. You know that, right? That's all that he's got to work with. Second thing is God takes those who are imperfect and he begins to shape them. So what that means right now on our very personal, practical level, every single one of you, if you are committed and following Jesus, don't become overly confident about your commitment to Jesus. You will fail. You will fail. But that's okay in a sense because it's really not about you at the end of the day. Anyhow, it's about God's power, God's strength on your behalf. God restoring you. And then the third thing is that this process actually requires patience. It requires patience, not only with others, but with yourself. I think one of the things, obviously, I've always just simply dealt with, I've, I've realized, like, for me, I'm definitely not the person I ultimately want to be, but I'm not who I once was. Some of you guys are familiar with the story of John Newton. He was the one that authored that great hymn called Amazing Grace. Uh, some of you might even be aware of his backstory. His backstory was fascinating because he actually owned ships. He, he was a ship owner, right? He had a family business. His dad owned ships. He owned a ship. In fact, one of the ships that he describes that he actually owned was a, was a vessel that trafficked African slaves. And he would describe how he would go down and hear the moans and the cries and watch these things with his own eyes. And years later, he would describe himself as one that was wretched, I don't think John Newton ever forgot what he once was, ever. But listen to what he said in one of his writings. He says, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by God's grace, I am what I am. So I don't know where you're at or how you even think about the call of God upon your life. What I want you to consider is the story of Peter as one of incredible hope that no matter who you are, no matter how broken, how flawed, how messed up, how big your intentions are, and how disconnected those intentions are with your actions, you have a God that loves you deeply and is committed to you committed to shaping you and changing you and making you into somebody brand new and beautiful. And I want to finish with this, and I'm actually going to be done. We're going to finish the service right now because we're a little bit late. And sorry, Nick, I took your, your time, stole your thunder, but hopefully that's okay. Please forgive me. I'm in progress, bro. I'm in process. Jesus is, re- I'm just kidding. Uh, listen to what C.S. Lewis says. This is a profound quote. Just listen. C.S. Lewis wrote, he says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And what he's describing is human beings that as they're being shaped by God, they're being remade into something far beyond what we can ever even imagine. But also there are those that who rather than being remade by God are becoming remade into something 
that's very dehumanized. That's destructive. That's, that's why sin's so bad, guys. Sin is bad. It's because it makes you less human. It disconnects you with the ideals of God, and it creates in you a life that is far from what God has. He goes on to say, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. He's not talking about uppercase gods. He's talking about lowercase gods. People that are deified. People that are raised up and become something absolutely beautiful and beyond what they can ever even imagine. He says, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person that you can talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as if you were to meet it at all, even in a nightmare, you'd be terrified. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no Ordinary people, you have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as a life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we, with whom we joke, we work, we marry, we snub, and we exploit. Immortal horrors and everlasting splendors. What C.S. Lewis is trying to convey is every single human being you look at, you sit next to, you work with, you're married to, is somebody that's in a place of process. Just like Peter. Great failure, great potential, yet blew it over and over and over again. And yet at the end of his life is able to write, I'm Peter. So you, no matter where you're at in this journey, we're, there's a destination for us. And that destination will be linked to the type of person you're becoming. The type of person you're becoming is linked to the choices you're making in your life this very moment. Not towards perfection, but towards your direction. This time of year, we always kind of say, I'm going to make new resolutions. I've got news for you. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, but you will fail those resolutions. I would suggest you, rather than making resolutions, make different patterns and habits. Set out in your heart to say, I will obey and love the one who loved me and gave himself to me. Create patterns in your life that orient you towards that. And as we do, we will discover God's unending grace, just like Peter did. And I'm done. I'm going to invite you all to stand. I'm going to pray over us and invite you to live into the story that Jesus invites you into. If you're on our online crew right now, again, thanks for joining. You're always more than welcome to come join us here in person. God's doing a cool, fresh, new thing. We're under a tent. It's awesome. Happy you guys are out in the sun. It's a beautiful day. We'd love to have you come join us next week. And I want to pray for us right now, and then we will scatter. Jesus, thank you for your great love and your great grace. Thank you that even in spite of our brokenness and failures and lofty intentions. God, that you love us and you're reshaping us and making us into people like you. So God, as we scatter now, help us to be people that love you, love one another, and make the name of Jesus known.
as imperfect as we were able to do that, by your power, may you do that through us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. The grace, mercy, and peace from the Trinity God be yours. And I want to leave you with this encouragement. Next week, come reading the whole book of 1 Peter. It's five chapters, but before you freak out, trust me, you can do it in 20 minutes setting. In fact, if that's too overwhelming, take one chapter a day. It's literally less than five minutes a day. If you do not have five minutes to read your Bible, look, I don't know what to tell you. You got a problem. The point that I would make is this. Read the passage, read the chapter, and I trust that God is going to speak to you. And as we come back again next week to regather, God will begin to open up and cause the scriptures to come to life. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Love you. Bye.